0: So the topic this morning, which you chose overwhelmingly last Sunday, was blessed are the flexible, for they will not break. You probably know by now that preachers like alliteration, so I might change that to blessed are those who bend, for they will not break. Either way, that'll preach. How flexible are you? And aren't there some things about which we should not bend. I think that this topic might be applicable to a number of ways. There might be other places or ways in which it's not applicable. So I'm going to ask you just simply to listen carefully this morning and determine for yourself or maybe even listen to where God might be nudging you or challenging you to be more flexible. Martin Luther once said that flexibility is one of the marks of Christian maturity. This from a man who was who refused to compromise with the church with the challenges with the ways he was challenging the church and interestingly though we celebrate luther and his good work his inflexibility broke the church and paved the way for a multitude of factions sects and denominations Interestingly, Luther's right-hand man, his name was Melanchthon, he was more about compromise, more about concessions, more about listening and working with the church instead of uh, separating from it. Perhaps if uh, Luther had been more accommodating, history might have turned out differently. But Luther's personality held sway. I'd like to think that I'm pretty flexible. Um... Maybe you don't think so, but I don't know how many of you have ever heard of the Enneagram. It is a personality inventory that identifies like nine different personality types. It's used in a number of sectors in society, and the Covenant's been using it in recent years to help pastors, to help with pastoral assessment, to help us understand who we are, how we're wired, and uh, it it helps to understand um, how we work with others and process and all of that kind of good stuff. Well, on the Enneagram, Um, I come up as a nine. There's nine personality types. I'm I'm a nine, which is characterized as a peacemaker. Now, interestingly, the majority of covenant pastors are nines or peacemakers. So I'm not alone. And as you can imagine, it requires a a certain degree of diplomacy, flexibility, a willingness to bend or compromise to be a peacemaker or to be a pastor we have to keep everyone happy, right? Actually, if I'm doing my job properly, there will be times when I will challenge you to think differently, to believe differently, to act differently. And if you would just be more flexible, (laughs) neither of us would break. The world needs more peacemakers. In his brilliant Sermon on the Mount, in that part that we refer to or call the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. These are dangerously polarizing times in which we live. And probably we've all felt it with friends or family members who maybe have been, we've been estranged with or alienated from because of all of the issues, um, social issues, as well as politics and partisanship. It seems that the only way to keep peace sometimes is to keep quiet. And things have gotten so polarized that that some of us no longer identify with our tribe. At the annual meeting of our denomination just a few weeks ago, uh, we pastors spent an entire morning uh, listening to and reflecting on what it means to care for ourselves and how to pastor, how to minister in these polarizing times. We shepherd churches and people who don't always agree with each other and who, in some cases, may also be worlds apart from us. And yes, we talked about all those, those uh, hot-button issues, if you will, racism and politics and human sexuality. Well, this message isn't about being a peacemaker, but rather flexibility, but you can, you can imagine, you can see that they're not exclusive from each other. Jesus gave us eight Beatitudes, but if there was a ninth, it might be this one. Blessed are those who are flexible, for they will not break. It's a good word, and it's a reminder not to be so stubborn or bullheaded, but to leave space, to be stretched, leave room to flex, room to bend. By holding things less tightly, being less rigid or immovable, one is less likely to break. Well, if we're good coveys, we're going to say, well, where is that written? I don't know of a single verse in scripture that says, blessed are those who are flexible for they will not break. However, in the scriptures there are many stories and people who exemplify for us either flexibility or inflexibility. Any number of stories that we might have chosen. So. After discussing it with staff this morning, we settled on Mark chapter 8, the first six verses, and that's going to be our scripture reading this morning. I'm going to invite you to go there with me. It's on page 970 of your pew Bible, Mark chapter 3, first six verses. Now, as I read this, keep in mind the backdrop of... Flexibility or inflexibility and and the results of that. Mark chapter 3. Another time, he, that's Jesus, went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray. God who speaks through prophet and priest, through saints and sinners, through word and sacrament, help us, God, to hear your voice today. And wherever we are, help us to leave changed because we have been in Jesus' company and we cannot remain the same. Make us flexible and moldable to respond to the ways, God, that you are at work. Draw us deeper into relationship with you and into greater maturity. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. We chose this scripture because uh, it depicts a group of people who are characterized as stubborn and immovable and who consequently miss the work of God. They miss what God is doing in their midst. Now, there are risks. For being so stubborn, consequences, for being thick-headed, so thick-headed that you are not willing to see the way, or the truth, or the path that leads to life for yourself or others. The Pharisees get a bad rap, but it is mostly earned. This passage reveals how angry Jesus was with them and how deeply distressed he was by their stubbornness. Our text begins with Jesus in the synagogue. He's in the place of worship and learning. He's in the center of of religious or church life, if I can use that term. And also in the synagogue that day is a man with a shriveled hand. You can imagine that uh, that must have presented for him some sort of handicap. Perhaps he was uh, even unable to provide for himself or, or work well. There were others there as well, Mark tells us, Pharisees who were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they are watching him closely to see if he will heal on the Sabbath. Can you imagine what it's like to be in the presence, as Jesus often found himself, in the presence of people who are intent only on critique and criticism? Anything Jesus says or does is filtered through their lens. These people are in the place of worship, the center of their spiritual life a place where they are to hear and reflect on God's Word. But instead of hearts open to God, instead of hearts engaging with God, they are there with their own personal agenda. Not to worship God, not to hear from God, but in a way to be God, to criticize, to condemn, to be judge and jury of Jesus. Now, Jesus often challenged or Question the religious authorities, especially in those places where their boundary markers and rules were excluding people or leaving them lost and hurting. Jesus told the Pharisees that the Sabbath, which was one of their primary boundary markers, it's why they were always on Jesus. If you read the section just before our reading this morning, again, they were on Jesus' case for not obeying the Sabbath according to their rules. Jesus said, That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is supposed to serve humanity, not the other way around. So Jesus invites the man with the shriveled hand to stand in front of everyone. If if Jesus is going to challenge their authority, he wasn't going to do it privately or secretly, but openly and intentionally. He asks the question, as the man stands before these Pharisees, Jesus asks the question, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? Why is there a day of rest? And what does it mean to give rest or to relieve the pain and suffering of others or to lift burdens? What does it mean to restore, to renew, or to recreate, to recreate? That's what Sabbath is about. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill? The answer should be obvious, right? I mean, which is better on any day of the week? But there was no response. The Pharisees are silent. Mark says that Jesus looked around at them in anger, and he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. This is God, angry and distressed at their unwillingness to reconsider their mindset, to reconsider their hearts, their understanding, their beliefs, which were robbing others of hope and healing. They were unyielding, unbending, and inflexible. And in their stubborn refusal to repent, to change their minds, they missed the person and the work of God right there in their midst. This is a tragic story. Now, Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand. And in light of the topic, blessed are those who are flexible, for they shall not break. It's interesting to note that this man stretched out his hand, bent, flexed his hand, and what came to him was healing. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize the story, but he was flexible and responsive to Jesus and received what he needed, healing. And the Pharisees, seeing the mercy and grace of God at work, the healing power of God, repented, and they changed their minds, right? No. No, they went out and began to plot with the Herodians how to kill Jesus. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Blinded by their own stubbornness, these Pharisees break the Sabbath in an evil way by plotting to kill Jesus. And they're in cahoots with the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? They are the ruling political power within Israel. That's interesting. Religious people and a political party forming an alliance with an agenda. Rarely does anything good come from that. Because it is typically, listen, it is typically about maintaining power and privilege and position. If you know anything about church history, before we're quick to criticize the Pharisees, if you know anything about church history, you know that even the the Christianity also has fallen into the same trap of being aligned with governments, and political power. Both the Pharisees as a religious group and the Herodians as a political party are steadfast in preserving the status quo. They perceive Jesus to be a threat to their survival. He is shaking things up. He is challenging and changing things. He is questioning their authority, their teachings and practices, their interpretation of Scripture. And so, in a mixing of both ecclesiastical and political power, they plot to kill Jesus. Church and state in collusion to thwart God's purposes. The Pharisees were in the presence of God, in the flesh. They witnessed a miracle in their midst, but they are unwilling to reconsider, to repent, to change their minds. They were inflexible. They were rigid, whitewashed tombs, as Jesus called them, about dogma, doctrine, and definitive rules. Their hearts were closed, callous, gentrified, petrified, granite, icy, calculating, hardened, unmoved, and thus unmovable, unwilling to be stretched, to be challenged, to bend. They are broken in the worst way, and they want to break Jesus. Faith in God which is supposed to be about truth and grace, freedom and joy that fosters life has morphed into a cancer that kills, a fear that fosters hatred, an institution that has become corrupt, another broken structure of the world that is incapable of offering hope and healing. And so Jesus left the building. He goes out to the lakeside, and the hillside, and homes, and in the streets, bringing hope, and healing, and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God to those who will receive it. It was clear that the religious establishment, which was pitted against Jesus, was hopelessly mired in boundary markers in bureaucracy, partisanship and politics, rules and regulations, unholy alliances, and misplaced allegiances. Don't you wish now that we had found a much more pleasant story to preach from than these Pharisees? I mean, why didn't we pick Mary, dear Mary, flexible enough to become the mother of God? We could have picked the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys when things change, adjusting to circumstances, uh, being flexible when he was called to Macedonia. We could have chosen others as well. Perhaps Lydia, who when she received the gospel and became a believer, she opened her home. She was flexible. She opened her home and it became a gospel outpost. Wonderful stories of people who were deeply blessed to respond to what God was doing in them or around them or through them. Flexible. So how flexible are you? Are you able to go with the flow, to compromise, to make adjustments, to adapt, to accept change, to bend when necessary? Now, I suppose some might say, well, that depends on what it is. Right? It does. Are we talking about personal preferences and things that don't really matter all that much? Or are we talking about things about which we have deeply held beliefs and convictions? How do you recognize when you are being inflexible or refusing to bend? I doubt that the Pharisees were aware of their own stubbornness. But their intense emotion of anger and hatred for Jesus and their determination to kill him might have been a clue. You're wondering how can you recognize when perhaps you're being inflexible stubborn, thick-headed, it often comes around a kind of angst, anger, frustration, fear, emotion, strong emotions, especially around ideas and issues or, can I say, the idiots that do things and say things that you don't agree with. What are your triggers? Where are you outraged, angry, or fearful? Again, in these polarizing times with all of the issues that come to the fore in the church, in politics, in social media, do you rush to react? Do you speak out to you? Do you make your position known? A healthy spiritual life comes through self-reflection, contemplation, slowing down. Scripture says, quick to listen, quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Making space for wonder and curiosity and not rushing to judgment. I mean, how different might the story have been if the Pharisees standing in the synagogue that day had said, oh, there goes Jesus again, bending the rules, breaking the Sabbath, but here's a man who's been crippled all his life, who's now healed. I don't like this. I don't like what it's doing inside of me, but God, you must be up to something. What is it? Help me to see. Help me to understand. Help me to be slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Because I have to believe that somehow you're at work in this, God. How different things might have been if they had responded in that way. So how do, how do we become more flexible or adaptable or open to what God might be doing? Scripture tells us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus. Scripture also says that we should keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so if we want to grow in Christ's likeness, if we want to grow in maturity and faith, it would behoove us to pay attention to Jesus. Jesus models for us the ultimate inflexibility. God, who is unchanging in Christ, changed his very nature by the Incarnation. Jesus, the Son of God, descended from on high, set aside His glory, took on human flesh with all of its limitations of space, time, and matter. Imagine how flexible God's Son had to be to do that. He adapted to the human experience. He adjusted to living in first century Palestine. He adopted humanity as His family. He adhered to the Father's plan. The creator became creature. The eternal and timeless God stepped into time. The all-sufficient and independent God became a helpless babe. The king of kings became servant of all. The sinless one became sin for us. The giver of life surrendered his. The unchanging God changed himself to change us, to change the narrative of a broken world. It is true that God is unchanging, but not in an absolute sense. The immutable God is mysteriously and awesomely flexible. He is not stubborn, immovable, or unbending. In fact, God has shown us that He will bend over backward to rescue and to save to redeem and to restore true love the kind that God has for all creation and us requires flexibility if there is to be freedom of choice for humanity then there must be flexibility on the part of God a way that he is able in wisdom and love to bend yes Jesus demonstrates the ultimate inflexibility he allowed himself to be bent To the point of breaking to heal we who were and are broken. Oh, that we would be less rigid, less sure, less fearful. Oh, that God would keep us steadfast in faith, soft in heart toward God and others, and surrendered to His Spirit. Oh, that we might be more like Christ, open, flexible, responsive to what God is doing around us and in us and what He desires to do through us who are yielded, who are flexible. Blessed, happy are the flexible for they will not break. Amen. I'm going to pray and I want to use a prayer that um, I guess our friends in AA know it well and probably many others of you know it as well. It's known as the Serenity Prayer by a German theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr. So would you pray with me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as He did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that He will make all things right if I surrender to His will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. Amen.